Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the week of April 15th through 21st. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I am joined by Alex Plant. Always online. And Ben LeMoreau. Now remastered in HD. And uh, so this week we are going to talk about the last two weeks of Nintendo news uh, in the first half of the podcast. And then in the second half, we are going to talk about Capcom and why we think Nintendo has the perfect opportunity to buy them out. So uh, let's get started and catch up on what we missed from last week's episode. So Nintendo customer service blames retailers for the amiibo shortages that we've been experiencing here in the U.S., The representative explains that Nintendo doesn't ship directly to retail locations, but instead takes orders from distributors. The distributors then ship them to the retailers, and the retailers themselves divide them up among store locations. And so, Nintendo's kind of shifting the blame off of themselves here. Are the retailers really ordering them in such small amounts, or is Nintendo failing to meet the demand? And whether or not the retailers are ordering them in small amounts, is it then not up to Nintendo to recognize that there's far more demand than the retailers understand and oversupply anyway? You know, there was a, an analyst who kind of talked about this topic a few months ago, and his spin on it is, with, um, with his experience with Nintendo executives, they don't intentionally try to um, undership products and create an increased demand because everything's sold out. But the way he put it is, uh, they're happy when it happens. He said, you know, just from his past experiences with meeting with Nintendo executives, they don't really mind when you have these situations where they're sold out. So if Nintendo is being entirely honest and retailers are just ordering them in small amounts, uh, in this guy's opinion, it makes sense that Nintendo wouldn't really see a need to create more outside of the retailers and create other options for ordering other than like, you know, Walmart and Best Buy and things like that. Right, which is kind of a kind of a twisted way from a Western perspective to interpret such insane failures to meet the demand and i have a hard time believing that this is entirely the retailer's fault just because you know we've seen examples where retailers have had to cancel pre-orders and such which indicates to me that they ended up with a lower supply than what they thought they were going to get right so nintendo also wanted to affirm that no amiibo have been discontinued and the ones that are currently unavailable will be reprinted and redistributed at various times we already see that sonic ike meta knight and of course marth are getting reprints in america and Villager, Little Mac, and Captain Falcon are getting reprints in Japan, so hopefully that's a good sign of more things to come. Yeah, it's interesting that they're affirming that there are no discontinuations, because I remember a lot of the reports that we were hearing uh, back when some of them started disappearing was that some of them were discontinued. So it sounds like, and I don't think there was ever Nintendo's intention to discontinue them. I don't think they're talking out of their butts here when they say that nothing's discontinued. So I think it may that may actually be evidence, uh, the fact that they're willing to to reship some of these high popular ones so soon that uh that the retailers were the ones planning to pull the plug on some of these rare amiibo not nintendo so you may know that splatoon doesn't feature voice chat during online play that's a decision uh met with a lot of upset from nintendo's fans one of the game's co-directors finally explained why they made this decision uh they didn't include voice chat because they wanted to focus on the positive elements of online gaming Now, of course, that implies that voice chat is an inherently negative aspect of online gaming, and I'm sure a ton of gamers would passionately argue against that. Whether or not you think that, though, that begs the question, why not make voice chat an option that's disabled by default? 
Yeah, I can understand Nintendo's mentality of wanting to appeal to families and younger audiences and stuff. And the uh, the producer in question basically said, in his experience, when he goes online, you end up with people, you know, being vulgar or insulting. And I can understand not wanting that on Nintendo's platforms, but you know, just set the default to mute and have people, you know, turn it on if they want to. I don't, right. I don't really see the point in completely restricting voice chat for a primarily team-based game. Right, and I think it's a classic case of a developer who has a really well-intentioned idea, but just a total misunderstanding of how to approach that idea when it's put into practice. Because team-based shooters basically require voice chat. <laughs> I'm not sure that this is a decision made by the developers of Splatoon. I think this might be more of an organizational policy thing, um, because the fact that party chat isn't a standard feature on Wii U is pretty telling as far as what Nintendo, the company thinks about voice chat and the value of voice chat i mean at this point it's too late obviously it's not going to be a, a, a standard feature uh, but i really really doubt it has to do with their thoughts on splatoon specifically possibly um i mean mario kart and smash bros both do enable voice chat in some capacity they're just not on uh like during the matches which is at least for smash bros and i think for mario kart 2 it's it's to cut down on lag and i guess that makes sense for splatoon but it's smash bros and mario kart you don't need voice chat while you're doing them a team-based organizational shooter you need voice chat well yeah i i mean that's true i agree with you um but i think at the same time the fact that they're present in mario kart and smash bros is more telling for the way multiplayer works in those games you can play i think voice chat only works when you're playing with your friends right right so in that case you know that's not going to fly in splatoon because unless you have seven friends that you're going to be playing with and who has be, seven just friends? be playing with your friends <laughs> i have six <laughs> yeah exactly because uh, the standard yeah. mode is four versus four and i think part of this can be a little bit just um lack of experience on nintendo's part with creating heavily online experiences and heavily team-based experiences you know mm -hmm. that's that's all fairly new for nintendo so maybe they're just not at a point yet where they understand the importance of that feature Right. So speaking of Mario Kart, uh, the Mario Kart 8 200cc mode is coming soon, and Nintendo has released some crazy videos of the new speed class in action. First, there's footage uh, showing the mode alongside 150cc, just to compare the speeds, and then there's another that shows off a ton of these, like, massive new shortcuts that are only possible when racing in 200cc. In addition, they finally unveiled the contents of DLC Pack 2. I mentioned this in the announcement podcast last week, but uh, returning tracks include Baby Park from Double Dash, Ribbon Road and Cheese Land, both from Mario Kart Super Circuit, and Neo Bowser City from Mario Kart 7. In addition to the Animal Crossing track we have uh, that we saw in the April 1st Direct and plenty of times before that, there's also a subway-themed track called Super Bell Subway, a forest kind of track called Wild Woods where you race in a tree and through a little Shy Guy woodland village, and a second F-Zero stage, this time based on Big Blue. I think it's interesting that, you know, in the last DLC pack... We got Mute City, and now we're getting Big Blue. So that's a pair of F-Zero stages, you know, in back-to-back -back DLC packs. And then additionally, they've released the 200cc mode, which makes it a much faster racing experience, similar to F-Zero. And, you know, I kind of got to wonder if Nintendo's testing the waters to see how people like these high-speed races, or possibly if it's just that they kind of want to throw a bone to the F-Zero fans because it's been so long since they've announced anything for that franchise. Right, we mentioned this in the last podcast. Uh, Alex mentioned that... They, it could be Nintendo actually gearing up to release a new F-Zero, have Mario Kart players sort of graduate to this faster, uh, more intense racing game. And I think I think we may be seeing that. A lot of people think it it's, here, we can kill F-Zero now because we have Mario Kart doing it for us. 
but uh there's been a lot of demand for F-Zero from Nintendo fans. So I think I think they are doing this really clever ploy to sort of data mine and see how much people are choosing Mute City and Big Blue, how much people are using 200cc versus the other classes, how much people are maybe even using the Captain Falcon Mii costume and the Blue Falcon car. Well, you know, we've seen them releasing the F-Zero games on Virtual Console as well. So now they have the opportunity to release F-Zero X, um, which would be the last one that's on a platform supported by virtual console that hasn't released yet so yeah i I mean i think it's definitely possible that they're they're sort of sowing the seeds uh if you will so as for the other dlc uh i'm really happy to see cheese land and ribbon road back i personally i love super circuit i think it has some of the best tracks in the entire series even though they're these like 2d courses that you know from super mario kart and super circuit and 64 but uh, until now, we've pretty much only ever gotten Bowser's Castle as Super Circuit tracks in the Mario Kart series. So I'm really happy. I feel like I feel like they're kind of throwing throwing me a bone here because those are two of my favorite courses in the entire series, and they're both back now. And the Cheese Lane music sounds amazing. I think it's pretty cool as well, just because uh, Super Circuit is actually the Mario Kart game I've played the least. So this will be you know, a good opportunity for me to get familiar with some of these really popular tracks. And I've been looking up footage of the tracks and things like that. And Ribbon Road looks awesome. Like, I was already mm-hmm. checking out all the shortcuts I saw, like, on the sides. And the people <laughs> in the video were missing all of them. But, hey, you know, it looks fun. <laughs> I think there's something to your comment, too, that, that Super Circuit has some of the best tracks in the series. Because since it's not a truly 3D game, uh, it's it, you can't, you, you know, take advantage of 3D visual effects. So it's right. really all about track design, uh, whereas right. even a lot of the tracks in Mario Kart 8, I mean, yeah, you'll have actual track splitting with the the anti-gravity, but the, the track design tends to be sort of simple and straightforward. Right. And uh, Super Circuit, I thought really, it really, it, it leapt out of Super Mario Kart saying, okay, we get what Super Mario Kart's doing, now let's make the courses themselves really fun to race on. Yeah. And I think that as we got into 64 and Double Dash and stuff, they started to say, okay, now we can do 3D, we can do all these cooler effects, and we can build the themes better, so let's make the courses themed and have these effects. And uh, and so they they lost... It's not that they consciously decided to make tracks less good, but they lost some of that need that Super Circuit gave them to design really, really good uh, racing paths. Yeah, agreed. Um, they've been they've been really focusing, especially with the, the very recent Mario Kart games, on, on bringing in content from past mario games that people have liked mm-hmm. uh whereas super circuit kind of just went completely off rails uh with its themes but the track design was really solid sound files were discovered in the latest smash bros update that suggest roy from fire emblem and ryu from street fighter could be dlc there is a victory theme for a character named roy and it's the fire emblem victory theme and ryu's theme from street fighter is buried in the files as a song likely for a new stage uh, i don't remember what information suggested it would be for a new stage but uh I remember the conclusion is it's likely for a new stage. In addition, it appears that the game is currently able to accommodate five additional DLC fighters after Mewtwo and seven additional stages. So the files that were discovered for Roy and Ryu are indeed in the game, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything is going to come from them. Uh, they could they could be dumped files. They could be something like that Ice Climbers cheer that was scrapped data. So we don't know. Well, it's interesting that it's showing up in... in- what looks like the update data and not the original game data. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that they're not being very sloppy with their updates, um, or at least they're trying not to be. I mean, I, uh, so I, I don't know that they'd be adding in junk files this early in the game, unless they also found stuff for Lucas, which doesn't seem to have been the case. No, uh, which is which is 
odd because we know Lucas is coming. We have not heard anything about Roy or Ryu. Yeah. So I'm actually wondering whether Ryu might be a sign of a closer association between Nintendo and Capcom. Um, And this this ties in perfectly to our discussion that we'll be having later. But if this is true, they will be the first third party company with two franchises represented in Smash. And that's a huge honor and a huge sign of trust for Nintendo to give Capcom. And they also just tossed in the uh, Proto Man costume for the Miis, too. Right. It's another nod to a Capcom franchise. Well, I mean... A, Camp, a Capcom franchise that's already represented, but another popular character from it. Yeah, they had uh, the Mega Man X costume too, and they had mm-hmm. the Mega Man costume in Mario Kart. So we see them getting a little closer. I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical because uh, Capcom's been fine with, for example, uh, licensing out the Mega Man IP to Archie Comics for their Sonic mm-hmm. crossover. True. So this might just be another example of Capcom not really knowing what to do with their current IP, and so why not license it to Nintendo? True. Although I am a little confused, we we don't know what the nature really is of Capcom's agreement with Sony, but it's it's interesting to me that Street Fighter V would be coming out as a console exclusive on PlayStation Four, and then they'd be licensing out the most popular character from it to Smash Bros. That just seems a little odd to me. Well, they might be doing something different with Street Fighter for Nintendo consoles. We don't know. They might not be relying on Street Fighter V itself. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's also worth noting uh, that Sakurai is going to be a guest speaker at the premiere of the Fire Emblem Philharmonic Orchestra in July. We talked about this on, I believe it was the first episode of the podcast, but that could mean absolutely nothing, or it could mean that they're going to announce Roy DLC then. So, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So in addition to the potential Mario movie we learned about last year, Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios founder Avi Arad tried to get the rights to make a Super Smash Bros. movie. They also wanted the rights to make movies out of Pokemon and Sonic, and the Sonic movie is actually happening. Um, so I think it's pretty interesting hearing about each of these new things, the Mario and Pokemon and Sonic and Smash Bros, because it sounds to me like Sony was essentially trying to build a cartoony equivalent of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, out of Nintendo's characters and have, like, Mario and Pokemon. And I know Sonic's not technically a Nintendo character, but he's in Smash, and then sort of have it culminate in, like, this Super Smash Bros movie. So and also I, he's I had some Nintendo amazing. exclusive games pretty recently as well. So it's still right. he's still kind of under that Nintendo umbrella for audience interest. Right, right. And you know, you bring up the Marvel Cinematic Universe and they even got the guy who used to produce most of Marvel movies attached. Yeah, it's but... the guy who who basically <laughs> built the cinematic universe and he's now trying to do it again, I feel like. Uh mm-hmm. a lot of these concepts I believe were I don't know if they were necessarily rejected, but they didn't get far. They were just hopes and plans from Sony. It's, it's interesting to think about what might have happened. Well, the timing's interesting also because we have this sort of surge of video game-related movies like uh, mm-hmm. Wreck-It Ralph and now Pixels. Um, but we haven't really had one that's really... They've all been kind of original concepts. They haven't been... It's popular now to go back and make movies out of old comic books. Uh, why not old video games? Right. And they're still technically making Pokemon movies. Yeah, that's but... that true. It's not really... But they're not really... The people who watched Pokemon in 1998 aren't the people who are watching the current Pokemon movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Nintendo reports that overall hardware sales are up 60% so far in the US this year. 3DS sales are up 80% following the launch of the new 3DS XL, and Wii U sales are also up by about 20%. That's really good news for the 3DS, uh, considering Iwata had told investors that sales were down because the new 3DS hadn't launched yet, and now we see this surge that's... um, you know, that shows he was not wrong. Yeah, the 80% number, it looks really good, and it is a good thing, but it's not that new 
the 3DS and new 3DS are selling so exceptionally well, it's that they're selling pretty well. Right. And, and they were last year's 3DS before. sales were just terrible. I was going to say, yeah. they're selling but, less bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm what I'm worried about is that this won't be sustainable because, you know, I report on the weekly uh, media create sales for Japan. And when new 3DS first launched there, I mean, it was, it was huge. It was selling quite a lot. It was topping the charts for a while. And it's already slipped down quite a bit since then, to the point where it's well, it's being outsold pretty regularly by PS4 and the the top selling model, the new 3DS XL, that is usually coming in third behind PS4 and Vita. But if you take all 3DS model sales combined, then it's usually second, sometimes first. But it's still they were down from like you know a hundred thousand plus a week for the first couple weeks to now it's down back to a more realistic about 30,000 a week. And we don't know if the same thing's happening in the West just because um, groups in the West that track those numbers, like the NPD group, don't give nearly as many statistics as they do in Japan. But I would imagine it's a similar situation where just the new hardware alone is not going to keep sales going particularly strong unless there's good games there to support it. So I, I think Nintendo really needs to focus more on launching some games to go along with this new model or else they're going to see the sales spark just be snuffed out pretty quickly. Especially in the West, where Monster Hunter isn't going to do it by itself. And now they can't do Paper Mario 64 3D. <laughs> they could. <laughs> no, they won't. They won't. Katsuya Iguchi, the general manager of Nintendo EAD, says that Nintendo is trying to make an effort to listen to the opinions of their younger employees because the younger ones are generally more sensitive to new trends, developments, and technologies, etc. in the industry. So they're, they're trying to learn from the younger employees about what new developments are happening. So Splatoon, Nintendo's new IP, uh, is a good example of younger employees making a difference in the company. One can't help but wonder if the younger employees helped influence Nintendo's decision to develop for smart devices. I mean, I'd be a little skeptical that they played a major role in the smart devices thing. I think they had more to do with DNA's insistence in their their conversations. But it's nice to hear that uh, Nintendo's making this effort because a lot of the rumors kind of we've heard out of former Nintendo employees is that they have this very upper management-centric uh, decision-making where you don't, you don't challenge Miyamoto because Miyamoto is the Nintendo god. Uh, so it'd be nice to see that change and it'd be nice to see that em- them embrace new directions that they haven't gone in before. Absolutely. They revealed a few months ago that they're doing this program they call Nintendo Garage where I think it was something like uh, once a week maybe a lot of the younger staff members meet with Miyamoto after hours and just have like a completely open brainstorming discussion where everything's on the table, you know, no idea is too crazy to throw out, and then he kind of tries to mentor these younger game uh, developers and that's where the ideas for Splatoon came from. So this is something that I hope to see Nintendo do a lot more of because as great as, you know, Mario and Zelda and Donkey Kong are, it'd be nice to see some changes to those franchises and some more new franchises introduced. Yeah, it'd be nice to see some titles appear on the bestseller list for like Wii U, for example, that don't have Mario or Link as the, as the starring character. Because uh, I think right now it's what, that the, they're in all of them. Pretty much. It's a little crazy. So Nintendo has announced that they will be renting out the entire fleet of over 100 trucks owned by a company called Game Truck uh, to demo Splatoon at birthday parties across the U.S. this summer. So that's, uh, you know, very strong support for this new IP. Uh, we know they're doing some commercials and some other some other things. So they're following through on their word that they're trying to market and position Splatoon as a big new franchise. Yeah, I think um, commercials and advertising is going to be a major key to whether or not this works because the idea is you can go to the website for Game Truck and they're a service where they have 
you know, these big vehicles, and they load them up with TVs and video game consoles, and they'll come, like, park it right in front of your house, and your kids can go sit in the truck and play brand new video games with, you know, uh, hired attendants there to answer their questions and things like that. So it's a great way to, you know, spread the news about Splatoon and let kids go hands-on with it, attract a younger audience. But for that to happen, you have to have parents going to the website and saying, yeah, I want to rent a game truck. So there needs to be marketing that's going to catch the eye of parents and make them want to go sign up so that their kids can play it and get hooked. So it's kind of a, a two-pronged venture, and it'll be interesting to see how Nintendo handles that, especially when they've talked recently about cutting back on advertising costs. Yeah, that's a really good point. So Nintendo has revealed that Splatoon's multiplayer rules are not customizable like the rules in, say, Smash Bros., Mario Kart. Um, some are saying that that's a bad choice for an online shooter, but uh, it's actually not what most online shooters do. Um, it's, it's really just contrasting with Smash and Mario Kart where you can customize the items, like the launch rate in Smash Bros, the speed in Mario Kart. I'm a lot more concerned that the gear you get in the game can't be transferred between online and offline play. So the gear that you collect on your own can't be taken online to play against other people, and vice versa. Nintendo says that the reason for this choice is so that battles online can really focus on the skill that you gain instead of the money and gear that you have and then bring into the match. Uh, which I think is actually a really, really good choice because it makes the online match so much more about skill rather than uh, the accomplishments you've made in the single-player campaign. Uh, it takes away that imbalance. So uh, I just think that because it's so intentionally different from the way that other shooters handle gear uh, between offline and online play, that people will struggle to see the positive effect that it, that it has on the outcome of the game. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on how gear winds up working or how you wind up uh, sort of getting access to different options for the online. Um, because, I mean, sure, if if you can't get it in the single-player mode, it's going to suck for people who like, you know, collecting stuff and, and showing it off online and using it online. But, um, you know, if you have the, all the options at your fingertips anyway, it's not going to make much of a practical difference. I would say depending on how Nintendo's marketing push goes this could be not that big of an issue, just because with the whole game truck thing, it's clear they're trying to make this game appeal to children. So maybe they're they're going for an audience that really isn't used to, like, the established protocol for what you do or don't do in an online shooter, and therefore, you know, they can set their own protocol. I don't know, because the, the audience for shooters is just so big that I find it hard to imagine them hitting some untapped audience that couldn't have already chosen from the existing shooter lineup as they say the target audience for call of duty is nine years old precisely um, <laughs> yeah like That's i don't what know i was gonna say I, I, like... I would be careful to assume that they because they are trying to tread new ground that they'll be hitting an audience that has no pre-existing assumptions well it's not so much that i think they will be hitting the audience as it is i think they might be attempting to so monolith soft held a live stream to show off the mechs in xenoblade chronicles x the presentation also covered the game's online features, including cooperative quests, rankings, and Meadverse integration. Uh, it currently has a 98% approval rating from Japanese gamers, so it looks like those features are pretty well received. Alex, do you want to do your thing here? So the mechs are cool. I mean, there's lots of customization options, but what I'm really interested in was the online features, because based on what we've seen, Xenoblade's really shaping up as probably the most heavily integrated single-player uh, experience when it comes to online that we've seen from Nintendo so far. Uh, so some examples, uh, you can hire other players' avatars as CPU-controlled party members. You can join online squads of up to 32 players who can share discoveries and items via Miiverse, so kind of like the tingle bottles in Wind Waker HD. You can go out on squad missions where you and your squad mates 
each playing kind of solo, but you're all trying to eliminate a specific number of monsters. Uh, you won't see your other players, but you'll all be reducing the same monster count. Uh, you can also do fully cooperative sp- squad quests where you and up to three teammates can take on a tough monster together. Uh, if you can complete enough of these, you'll fight the ultra-powerful world enemies. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to do those online. You can also play with AI teammates. Uh, there's also an online ranking system that's based on the faction you join as part of the story. Uh, your faction will determine the kinds of missions that you get, and the factions will be ranked based on their activity levels. Um, there's also player-specific rankings for specific activities like killing monsters or setting data probes or exploring. Uh, so you can you know, be ranked on your obscure skills. Uh, all in all, it seems like it's shaping up to be a really, really deep interconnected experience, even if you don't really ever play cooperatively online. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds fantastic. It sounds like Destiny almost. <laughs> the, the Nintendo version of Destiny, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... I mean, it's funny because I, I see these things, and and a lot of what I imagine is that the Zelda team must be quaking in their boots that they're getting shown up by the new studio. <laughs> uh, That's why they delayed the game. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they've been saying... One of the things they said early on was that they were wanted to be ambitious about not making it a purely single-player experience uh, where you're not just playing alone. Uh, and... You know, with this level of online integration, it's hard to imagine that that they were shooting for that, given that they have no real experience in that arena. But Alex, Zelda wouldn't make sense as a multiplayer experience because we can't have more than one Link. No, we can't have more than one Link. <laughs> Certainly, there can't be more than one Link in a game where Certainly there's there multiple can't be more links than 17. in the timeline. So, some leaked NPD info came out. Uh, so, take this with a grain of salt. But it says that Codename Steam only sold 31,000 units since its launch. And 31,000 sounds like a big number, but for comparison, that's one-tenth of what Captain Toad sold. And Captain Toad is on Wii U, which only has a sixth of the install base that 3DS does. And Captain Toad was just about their lowest tier holiday season game. I believe you mean it was the best game ever created. It was just about their worst-selling holiday season game. That's better. (laughs) So if this info is correct... Codename Steam is by all means a total flop, which is a shame because it got great reviews and it's really dang good. And now I think it's a pretty safe bet that we're never going to see this series touched again. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think I'd believe that they they seem to be trying to pretend that it exists, but only in this kind of half-hearted way. Uh, you know, we saw in the direct that they'll be updating it, so it's not as bad. And by bad, I mm-hmm. mean slow. Um, well, they already did update it, right? So that's that's here. That's great, and, and it takes the game up a good two or three review points from me. <laughs> and they're going to be having that tournament, so it exists, kind of. It's just it's so unfortunate because Steam and Splatoon are these two pillars of Nintendo's recent efforts to make new IP, and just like that, an entire half of that effort just fell to pieces. So I worry that Nintendo's going to learn exactly the wrong lesson from Steam's failure. And just go back to using their heaviest hitters over and over again, instead of trying to make new IP that's different and better than Codename Steam. Or you know, Codename Steam, well, yeah, more more marketable for sure. Yeah, it may have gotten pretty positive reception, but it's just it's not an easily digestible concept. I mean, you try to Mm -mm. describe it to someone, it's like, oh, it's a tactical turn-based, turn-based RPG slash shooter slash steampunk Abraham Lincoln aliens thing in Oz. Don't yeah. forget that. And uh, the other thing is, you know, you mentioned that uh, along with Splatoon, it's, you know, t- Nintendo's two new IP. And Splatoon, we've seen a lot of marketing for it, and I don't think we've seen nearly as much dedication for Steam. I don't think Nintendo really put a full effort 
into publicizing this and then even when they did try to publicize it it's you know it's a it's a tough task yeah i mean it feels a lot like pikmin to me not in the sense that pikmin is battered it anywhere nearly as bad as this but in the sense that this it's not this easily approachable concept from a gameplay perspective Uh, it's kind of a mashup of different ideas but on top of that it's this sort of stereotypical western cliche written world and story so it's 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 not hard to imagine that uh that they didn't really hit the mark with this one So, as always, to conclude the news segments of this week's show, we are going to bring you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. So, first, some upcoming dates to look out for. Thursday, April 23rd, Mario Kart 8's second DLC pack comes out alongside the Wii U virtual console release of Mario Kart DS. Sunday, April 26th, there will be a live stream of Pokémon Tournament in Japan, which will feature new characters. Tuesday, April 28th, Smash Bros. Mewtwo DLC will be available to purchase for all players, Wednesday, April 29th is the Japanese release of Xenoblade Chronicles X, so for those of you who are interested in seeing how it shapes up before it comes to the West, uh, keep your eyes peeled. Thursday, April 30th, the original Paper Mario comes to Wii U Virtual Console. Super Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64 are both already available. And in May, six Mega Man games from the GBA era are coming to Wii U Virtual Console. And some other news and reminders. Boy, we have a big lightning round this week, so buckle up. First, the Silver Mario amiibo that was leaked a little while ago is indeed real. Footage surfaced on YouTube of the toy in action, so you can actually check that out. Uh, No word yet on how or when it will be available. The latest Smash Bros. Balance patch is here. Big downgrades for Diddy, a bit for Sheik and some others. It upgrades Lucina, Captain Falcon, and more. Do not use Mewtwo for 10-man Smash or it will break your saves in Super Smash Bros. Nintendo's working on a patch for this glitch, but for now, just don't. Don't use Mewtwo on 10-man Smash. New Nintendo 3DS is getting support for the latest version of Unity, which is great news for the indie scene. The classic Link to the Past manga from Nintendo Power will be reprinted next month. An extensive Reddit poll voted Banjo-Kazooie the most wanted DLC for Smash. There's a ton of findings in there, so check it out if you want to learn more about the kind of DLC that the Smash community wants. GameStop is opening a new program whereby you can trade in your retro games and consoles. Someone faked a StreetPass greeting that said he had been playing The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess 3D on 3DS. It was all over the internet, but it was confirmed fake very quickly. As far as we know, Twilight Princess 3D is not a thing, so don't get excited. Nintendo will be releasing four data packs totaling 10 gigabytes to improve loading times in Xenoblade Chronicles X. They strongly recommend that players at least install the world map so that you can travel the world seamlessly. Monolith Soft also released a ton of new trailers, screenshots, concept art, and more for both Xenoblade games, including an overview video summing up all the major gameplay features. So if you like Xenoblade, be sure to check it all out. Project X Zone 2 has been announced for 3DS. It features improved gameplay and a deeper story. You can check out screenshots and artwork at Gamnesia and pre-order it at Amazon now. You can also pre-order Mario Maker at Amazon, Best Buy, and GameStop. Shovel Knight is coming to Xbox One sometime this week. It already launched Tuesday on PlayStation consoles. Call of Duty Black Ops 3 was announced and it might be coming to Wii U. Nintendo has renewed the trademark on the NES controller design. Some think that this is big secret news for their future plans, but it's mostly just routine IP upkeep. Square Enix is already planning to make a third game in the Bravely Default series. Street Pass has been updated with Street Pass Premium and the new games and all that jazz, so you can open up your 3DS now and check it out. Nintendo's stock is rising to new heights, so the momentum for their mobile announcement last month has not worn off one bit. And finally, Capcom has announced a new Monster Hunter game called Monster Hunter Stories, 
We don't know much about it, but we do know that it's a more cartoony visual style. It's a JRPG. It's been in development for five years. It's coming out next year, and we think it is made to capture the Western audiences into the Monster Hunter fan base. With all that said, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about Capcom. Should Nintendo buy them out? Spoiler alert, we all think yes, but more interestingly, find out why. Okay, hello everybody! We are back with more Nintendo Week. I am Colin McIsaac, the host of this podcast, and I am joined, as always, by Alex Plant. Now with more microtransactions. And Ben Le Moreau. Now with no microtransactions. <laughs> <laughs> so, we are talking about Nintendo and Capcom. Uh, we all think that Nintendo should buy out Capcom, and we, uh, we think there are some pretty dang good reasons why. So, uh, Ben, you're, you're the one who really has this big, solid plan. So do you want to kick us <laughs> off here? Yeah, my master plan. Well, <laughs> it, it's, it's a, I wrote an editorial about this a while back when Capcom first was made available for purchase. They had previously they had this uh, series of agreements in place so that none of the investors could all sell their stock to one particular owner so that nobody could gain a majority share of the company. And during an annual meeting, they voted on some of their policies and they voted by a slim margin not to renew that anti-takeover policy. So Capcom is now officially open to be bought, but you know it's not necessarily that they're actively looking for a suitor. But Nintendo has more than enough money to acquire them. Their uh, their market cap now is sitting at about 1.27 billion. Now at the time that they turned down the takeover policies, it was right at a billion, which means it only would have cost Nintendo uh, half a billion to buy a majority share in the company. Now it would be a lot more expensive. It would be, you know, over $600 million. But it's still basically a drop in the bucket for Nintendo. And uh, the idea I proposed is that Nintendo, when they came out with Wii U, said they, they didn't want to be seen anymore as just, like, the company that appeals to younger audiences. They wanted to expand. They wanted to attract more of the core gamer audience. And a few years into Wii U's life cycle, that, that's clearly not the case. You're seeing very little third-party support outside of, uh, well, th there's been a few mature games like Bayonetta and Devil's Third, but for for the majority, most third-party companies aren't giving Nintendo any attention whatsoever. And my idea, essentially, is that Nintendo's working on a new console. We know that now. They've got the NX in the works. And buying out a company like Capcom gives them uh, the ability to rebrand themselves to start the new generation off. As in, if you launch a new console with, you know, Mario on it and, like, a party game and a fitness game then chances are you're going to continue to attract the same kind of audience that you've been attracting for a while, and you're going to continue to turn away third-party developers. But if you buy out a company like Capcom now, and you launch a new console two years from now, that means you can launch with some of Capcom's more popular and more mature IPs. Um, 
one of the games in particular that I pointed out in the editorial was that Street Fighter would be an excellent choice for expanding Nintendo's audience, but unfortunately for Nintendo, that's not going to happen now since Street Fighter V is a platform exclusive on PlayStation. Well, not if Nintendo bought them out. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something they could change. And what I found interesting about that is um, about 18 months ago, the producer of Street Fighter was asked, hey, when are you guys going to make Street Fighter V? And he replied with, we don't have the money or the staff to do that. And then all of a sudden, hey, Street Fighter V gets announced, and it's exclusive to PlayStation 4. So that I suggests who funded to, it. Yeah, exactly. That suggests to me that you know not only was Capcom available for purchase, but they've been looking for someone who can finance some of their IPs. I'm sure there's other games that Capcom would love to you know return to, but they can't just because they don't have the cash. They've been financially struggling for a couple years. Monster Hunter's helped them turn around a little bit. So you've got this company, Capcom, that has a lot of mature IP, a lot of extremely recognized EP that could bring in new gamers and help Nintendo rebrand themselves. And you've got Nintendo, who's got about $5 billion in the bank and whose stock value has doubled in the past four months. So, you know, it, it just seems like a good fit, especially if Nintendo doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of Wii U with their next console. That was very thorough. <laughs> I like how you say they have other games that they might want to bring back. And I kind of imagined you saying that with a wink and a nudge because, you know, you have Mega Man, the elephant in the room, which Capcom <laughs> has been basically ignoring from a development standpoint. Um, they have been graciously hand- letting Nintendo handle Mega Man licenses. Precisely. Uh, with the virtual console releases, with mm-hmm. uh, Smash, Smash Bros. Bros. Obviously, costumes, uh, Mario Kart costumes, uh, potentially Ryu. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, uh, we'll see. But but that would be the logical way for uh, a Mega Man ma- game to get made is to th- at least through a partnership with Nintendo. I mean, obviously, an, an all out ownership of Capcom f- would be an easier way to get it done. I, I think. Right, and well, Capcom also has a lot of franchises that recently have been um, just itching. Their fans have been just itching for for <laughs> better games. Uh, Resident Evil is a prime example. Resident Evil Six was not very popular. Uh, people are really amped up to see a, a true Resident Evil reboot. Well, um, uh, let, me, let me temper your, your comment about Resident Evil 6 not being very popular. It is Capcom's second, third best-selling game of all time. And they still said it uh, undersold okay. expectations and lost the money, so <laughs> they were expecting after, somehow after Street <laughs> Fighter two After Street Fighter 2 and Resident Evil 5. No, oh, okay. Well, I stand corrected on Resident Evil, but they have Devil May Cry, they have Okami, they have a lot of things that people um, are really begging for, and I think those kinds of games with those kinds of attitudes would serve Nintendo really well in this rebranding that Ben's talking about, in winning over hardcore gamers to say, look, this is the console that has Mario and Donkey Kong and Zelda, and it's the console that has Resident Evil and Street Fighter. And a lot of those titles you just mentioned were developed by Clover Studios, that you know the former branch of Capcom that got shut down, which has now essentially reformed as Platinum Games, which has had a very <laughs> close relationship Capcom, with Nintendo. By Platinum, well, by I'm Rare, not so much by... saying they should buy uh, Platinum. <laughs> no, no, it's I know, I know. I'm just saying if they it's... controlled those IPs and that you know they already have, you know, Platinum has a lot of experience working with Wii U already, then you could start to see some of the original developers of like Okami and Devil May Cry, you know, using the IP again. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Platinum Studios would be very happy if Nintendo acquired. Uh, Capcom's IP so that that Kamiya could work on all those games again. I mean, this makes sense for Nintendo from another perspective too, which is not just widening their audience, but you know, widening their game lineup. Just period. 
because uh, a lot of the comments that uh, we've seen about Wii U are that you know the game release schedule is just so thin. Uh, even from a first party perspective, they've been releasing a decent amount of games, but certainly not nothing to fill the. the we've had a couple dry months these last couple months. Mm-hmm. And what games we do get, Mario Party Ten, are not very good. They're filler. At all. They're they're pure filler. Um, and this would be an opportunity to have more meat in the schedule. And along with, you know, rebranding the console for gamers so that they can see, you know, no, this isn't just a kiddie console or whatever, is that if you have some of Capcom's mature IP launching on the console, then you could see other third-party developers starting to get in line. It can be rebranded from a developer standpoint as well. Because, you know, no one wants to release, you know, Mass Effect or... Uh, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto, things like that. They don't want to release them on a console alongside Mario and Splatoon. You know, it's it's just not going to cater to that audience. But mm-hmm. you launch it alongside Resident Evil and Street Fighter, and you've got a game that can sell, even if, you know, Nintendo's next console isn't superior hardware, as we've seen their hardware is often technically lagging behind PlayStation and Xbox. But it doesn't matter, just because if you have good games there's going to be an audience the name of the game have... is the game is what nintendo and sega always used to say and mm-hmm. i mean it's it's always been true but um i think it would especially prove really useful for nintendo to follow that philosophy now now that they have um now that the gaming market is so stringently divided between nintendo's fans and the main gaming fans who really are divided between playstation and xbox well it's also you know, to follow on from that comment, uh, Capcom is a developer that has experience developing in that space, uh, which is something, you know, Nintendo's acquired Monolith Soft, who previously developed for PlayStation. And I, I want to say a lot of Retro Studios people probably had background in other gaming areas outside just Nintendo, which is why... I believe a lot of the ones who made Metroid Prime right. made the original Halo. Right. And that's kind of where I was going with that. Metroid Prime is evidence that, you know, if you bring in outside talent that's had outside experience uh, with different games that Nintendo normally makes, you have the opportunity to bring uh, not necessarily just Capcom's IP, but Capcom's development expertise in areas that Nintendo doesn't have that expertise in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Retro Studios formed, um, a lot of the employees were formerly from Iguana Studios, which created Turok. Oh, that actually explains a lot. Uh, yeah, so I don't want to get too deep into the Mega Man discussion, because we're actually going to have something uh, pretty similar to that uh, in another one of these podcast episodes coming up soon. But uh... Well, I mean, Mega Man is, is the type of game that I think would work on a nintendo console of course you know you also have new ip that capcom's working on like deep down which would be good answers to a lot of games on other consoles like dark souls it definitely is a acquisition that would make sense for nintendo the question is whether capcom agrees right i don't know i mean if 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 capcom is worth 600 million and nintendo comes in with 700 million and says we're gonna buy you i don't know that (laughs) I don't know that Capcom's going to have the leverage yeah, the, to say the key no, thing to look at is, like I said, the the voting down of the takeover defenses, it was really close. I want to say it was like 51 to 49% or 52 to 48 So that means you have to convince basically every single investor who has any interest in selling to sell. Yeah. Because almost half of them don't want to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly not a done deal or anything. It doesn't, it's not something that instantly would make sense for Capcom. Um Especially since, you know, for example, Street Fighter is, believe it or not, the lead platform is PC. And I don't see that being something that can just go away because Nintendo acquires them. Uh, you know, even now that Sony's funding 
uh, Street Fighter Five. It's obviously still coming to PC. So right. Well, I think I don't know. I think part of the deal for Capcom is uh, with Nintendo funding them, they would have the funds for a lot of projects like that. Uh, like Ben said, they didn't have the money to make Street Fighter Five. Part of Nintendo's big investment is not just in buying Capcom, but in in investing in all the games that they're working on uh, to release them as part of Nintendo's long-term strategy. Um, give them the funds to work on games for Wii U and 3DS or NX or whatever. Re- really, NX and the, the next generation of consoles. But give them those funds and those development resources, and uh, they're not having to work off their own pocket. They're working off of Nintendo's pocket, and that's a huge benefit for them. And it might actually be a bit of a tough sell to Nintendo's investors as well, just because Nintendo has just finally started turning a profit again after three consecutive years of operating losses where, you know, something like $600 million went down the drain, and now they're, they'd be turning around and dropping that same amount of money to make a pretty big investment, which would then require other smaller investments into the individual games. So, I mean, I, Nintendo's investors are pretty happy right now with the way the stock prices are up, but even so... Uh, a $600 million plus investment into a company is a big thing to ask when you've just yeah. come off of three consecutive years of losses. Yeah, and I, I can't remember right. the last time when a, a gaming company acquired another actually successful gaming company and didn't somehow destroy it within a decade. <laughs> um, EA does it all the time. Exactly. Maxis. Look at how successful uh, Maxis and... And uh, Nintendo's big acquisitions so far, I would say, have been Retro Studios and... Uh, Monolith Soft, neither of whom were heavyweight developers, and they've done pretty well, you know, joining with Nintendo because Nintendo enabled them to do things that they really couldn't do. But Capcom's a competent developer, a mm-hmm. uh, competent developer with experience, with a decent business, I would say. So, uh, right, it's not. This isn't. This wouldn't be a, a normal acquisition by any means. It'd be very risky. Right. It would be a very big yeah. merger. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, I, I think, but Nintendo should buy them. I think we all agree. I right? mean, if any company's uh, IP would strengthen Nintendo's and would be would make sense uh, for them to acquire, it would be Capcom. At least the argument I'm putting forth is that Nintendo needs something like that, and Capcom is the one who uh, can offer. That. If Nintendo so, I mean, wants to rebrand themselves as a company with a broader audience and not just the family friendly, which company, they should want to, I agree. Then yes, I think Capcom is, is the ideal choice for that expansion because you're not going to come up with four five, six successful new IPs all within the first two or three years of NX. It's, it's just not going to happen. But with Capcom, you have those established already. And all you got to do is throw some money at them, put it on a little Nintendo touch. And there you go. Right. And I think it's been clear for a long, long time that Nintendo can't do the kids only thing anymore. No, uh, certainly not. Their 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 consoles are on an incredible downward trend ever since the NES. Um the Wii was by all means uh, the exception because it just hit on this mass market trend that basically invented the casual market, but every other one of their consoles has sold progressively worse than the last and that's largely because they're narrowing their audience uh only to the people. I mean they make magical games, but their audience—they do. <laughs> but they're 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 narrowing their audience only to the people who care about that. They're not they're not keeping their audience as broad as they were in the Nintendo and Super Nintendo days when they said, "Okay, let's let Mortal Kombat have blood in it because now it's got a, a T or M rating or whatever it was back on Super Nintendo." 
Um, they're they're not saying that. They're saying our games are gonna have, our guns are gonna shoot paint, and our Mario is gonna grow tall and smile everywhere. And we've seen them take a few strides, like I said, with you know Bayonetta two acquiring that you know they were looking for a funder. Nintendo stepped up, and then Devil's Third as well. But it's you know a day late and a dollar short when you do that a couple years into a console's lifespan after it's already been right. firmly established as the kitty. What console. they need is an announcement at say like E3 2016 that says here's what NX is. Bam, Street Fighter. Bam, Resident Evil. Bam, Zelda. Bam, Metroid. Yeah. These can't be the exceptions. They kind of have to be the rule. Right. And, you know, what we've seen so far, Bayonetta, Devil's Third, they're obviously the exceptions to the rule on Wii U. And they're honestly kind of out there as far as mature titles go. They're not very mass market appealing right. sort of right. sorts of games. Not in the way that Resident Evil 6, Capcom's third best-selling game ever. <laughs> or even some of their new projects like Lost Planet or or uh, that deep down thing. Mm-hmm. Um like right. those look like they're very in with the times, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think Nintendo should buy Capcom. I second that motion. I, I agree. I think I, I think I'd honestly think they'd be in a better position if they bought a Western studio, but they're not very good at that Western relations thing. So right. if there's and any Capcom, Japanese I mean, studio, it should be Capcom. Right. And Capcom is the most Western that Eastern studios get. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it, especially if you have good things to say instead of bad ones. If you can't wait until next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, Capcom, you name it, and uh, even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. If you have questions or feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com. And finally, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. But, uh... Colin just had a stroke.